morning, church. Uh, like Dr. Weeks said, my name is Stevie, and I work with the students here, and I'm uh, blessed to be able to come and um, share and worship with you guys today. And uh, like Dr. Weeks said, this week is, uh, next Sunday is Checkpoint, our, our big student ministry fall kickoff. And so this week I was planning a little bit for Checkpoint and was on Amazon, uh, the darkest of holes you can go all day, uh, just looking at sweet deals. Uh, but I was looking for some water guns, okay? And so students, you just got to wait and find out what that's for. But uh, so I was looking to buy some water guns, and I saw this cool, super, like, NASA backpack. Uh, they had, like, the hose coming out like this. I didn't buy it. I wasn't going to buy it. But for some reason, I clicked on it, because why not, right? And the sovereignty of God just led me down to the reviews, right? And I'm so thankful that I did, because, uh, boy, was it good. Literally, the very first review on this, like, soaker backpack thing said, uh, it was all right, but I bought it to clean off my mountain bike, and the pressure wasn't all that good. I'm like, hold up. You bought, like, a kid's small NASA, like, backpack to clean off your mountain bike. Doesn't make, didn't make sense. And then, like, three reviews later, it said, uh, worked okay, but I bought it for my neighbor who struggles and has a burden with squirrels, and the water pressure wasn't good enough. Once again, why would you buy a little kid's NASA backpack for the you know, fight off squirrels with. That's not what it's for. Uh, so anyway, it just really made me think, and it was, it was hilarious. And, uh, but sometimes, right, like life doesn't really happen the way that we expect it to happen, or things that we have do not work out the way that we expect them to work out, right? Like these crazy people buying a small kid's backpack to wash a mountain bike, like it's a pressure washer or something, didn't turn out the way that they expected. And I think for most of us in here, I think probably for all of us, we can say at some point in our lives, what we expected hasn't really turned out in our lives now, right? Or like maybe when we first became a believer, I remember for myself, when I first uh, put my faith in Jesus, I was like, man, I'm going to do so many things for God, right? I'm going to do all these big things. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to save the world, like whatever, you know, like Buzz Lightyear style, like all this, right? Like I'm going to do all this for the Lord. And then life happens, right? Then we mess up. Right, then we sin, and somewhere along the way, we kind of you know, get distracted, or we get comfortable, and, and kind of life happens, unfortunately, and, and sometimes we, we stand somewhere, and we look up, and realize our life is not at all what we expected it to be, right? We have not done for the Lord what we expected we were going to do. I think that's life. That's all of us. We can kind of probably go through the room and attest this, every single one of us. There's been things in our lives that have kept us from being what we want to be and what we expect it to be. And over these next few weeks, we're going kind of a little bit through the life of Peter. I think Peter's a great example of this. And we see kind of, you know, he was one of the most outspoken leaders of the disciples. And time and time again, Peter put his foot in his mouth. Time and time again, Peter messed up. Uh, but today we're going to look at a big mess up of Peter, and that's when he denied uh, the Lord three times, actually. So just imagine uh, Peter and just being this leader, and, and, and life didn't happen the way that, that Peter probably thought. And, I mean, he grew up wanting to be a fisherman probably, right? And, and his life just took a drastic turn. So if you have your scriptures this morning, you can turn with me to the book of John, chapter 13. That's where we'll be just for a minute. So Peter was one of the leaders of the disciples, right? He was always um, outspoken. And in the book of John, in kind of chapter 13, Jesus just set up uh, telling his disciples that he's about to leave. You know, Jesus is about to uh, prepare to, to be um, trialed and crucified at, on Calvary. And so he's trying to pre- prepare his disciples for what was come. So he, he was telling his disciples that I'm about to go away. And where I go, you cannot go yet. Right? So he's preparing his disciples for what's about to happen. And then, of course, Simon Peter 
speaks up, right? So we'll start in verse 36 of chapter 13 from the book of John. It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Pause. So Peter just couldn't understand what Jesus was saying, right? Couldn't understand the magnitude of what Jesus was about to do. Peter's like, hold up, you're about to go somewhere? Like, we're boys, right? Like, I'm going with you. Like, I'm your disciple. I'm covered by your dust. Like, I'm going with you. But he didn't understand quite what Jesus was going to do. But still, in fact, in the Synoptic Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in their account of this, they actually um, say that Jesus explicitly says he's going to be crucified. So there was no sugarcoating it. Jesus was telling them what's about to happen. And yet Peter's like, uh, I don't know what's going on, Jesus, but you're not going to die, right? Like, you can't die. And, and yet Peter's like, I'm going with you. I will even die for you, Jesus, right? Like Peter's showing like his, his faith in Jesus and like how he's following Jesus even to the point of death. See, in that moment, Peter had no doubt in his mind that he would do anything for Jesus. In that moment, Peter was so confident in the fact that he would even die for Jesus. Because right before this, the uh, disciples were sitting with Jesus at the Last Supper, and Jesus said in the middle of the supper that one of you will betray me. Of your 12 disciples that have followed me around for three years, one of you is going to betray me. I just imagine like each disciple instantly begin inwardly seeking themselves and like, is it me? Like, am I going to be the one that, that, that's, that disobeys and, and surrenders Jesus? Like, I don't want to be that guy. And then John speaks up and says, who is it, Lord? And, and Jesus said, you know, the one whose cup I passed, and it was Judas. And, and so Judas, they knew as the betrayer. So you can imagine when everybody but Judas at that moment just had a, okay, it's not me, right? Like, I'm not the one, right? And so Peter knew he wasn't the betrayer, right? Like, he would follow Jesus to the point of death. Like, you I got you, Jesus. Like, I got your back. And then Jesus, like, kind of just slaps him with some truth. It's kind of this, probably one of the most humbling statements in the scripture. Jesus says in verse 38, Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me, Peter? Like, really, Peter? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Jesus is saying, like, you think you'll die for me, Peter? Actually, tonight, by the time the rooster crows, you will deny me. Not once, not even twice. But three times you will deny me. So say, what was that about you, you know, following me to death? Like, I don't think so, Peter. So it's this humbling moment for Peter where he is not who he thought he was, right? Like his faith and his strength is not as strong as he thought it was. And it's his pride here. You can see his pride rise up in this moment because he's like, Jesus, I will follow you to death. Like, I'm not a betrayer. That's Judas. You're Judas, right? I'm Peter. I'm the one that got out of the boat and walked on water with you, right? Like, that's me. I will follow you to the point of death. Jesus says, no, 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 Peter. You're actually going to deny me tonight. I can just imagine just, I mean, his whole loyalty to Jesus is questioned by Jesus in that moment. And, and you see the pride of Peter that began to lead, lead to his fall, right? He, he had no room in his mind that he could do that. He didn't leave any doubt in his own mind to do that. He, didn't, he set himself up for failure because of his pride in refusing to let that even be a possibility. Sometimes when we see a pastor, you know, fall into adultery or something very heartbreaking and we see their whole ministry crumble as a result of their sin, it's very heartbreaking. You know, and, uh, and I don't know about you, but I know like for my wife, like I, I feel like in those moments, all I, all I hear in my mind is she's thinking, 
well, that could be you, right? Like you're a minister, like that, it's happened to everybody else. Like why couldn't it happen to you? And in those moments when, when that happens, that my response, my initial response wants to be like, hold on, like I won't ever do that, right? Like that's not me. Like I love you, right? Like you're my wife. I would never do this in a million, million years. Like that's not who I am. But if I said that, if I, if I let myself go that far, that would be so prideful of me. Because in all truthfulness, me, myself, just like you, we're sinners, right? And that sin has no, there's no structure around sin, right? Sin is sin regardless of what it is. And in fact, if you are a sinner, then you are capable of any sin. All of us, without Jesus, we're capable of doing anything. Because we're fallen people, we're broken people who seek, uh, who, who seek desi- our desires and seek fulfillment and everything else but Jesus, right? And that, that if we allow ourselves to go down those roads then, roads, then we could be anywhere. And so for me to stand up here and say, like, I would never do that, that is the first step of leading toward that. Because I'm showing my pride in, like, puffing up my chest, and that's not me. Instead, my response should be, you know, I'm capable of that, so because of that, I need to spend each and every hour I can on my knees seeking Jesus and seeking his strength in my life so I will not fall, but Jesus will show his strength through me, right? That should be our response because any of us could end up there. And Peter didn't think like that. Peter said, no, 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 that's not me. I'm not like Judas, right? Like, I'm the one that got on the water. So see, his pride began to lead to his fall because he opened, he didn't even allow that to be a possibility. And we see right after this, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus asked his disciples to stay and watch and pray. And Peter's sleeping, right? He's, already, he's even opened himself up to failure even more. Jesus just told him he was going to deny him by, by the rooster crow, and he's over here sleeping. Right? That just shows right there, like, that's not going to happen. That's not me. We'll flip over now to the, uh, John 18, just a few more chapters then we see the actual sin of Peter. So right before this, you know, Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the high priest sends his servants. And, you know, I mean, Peter's true to his statement at this point. He, he says he will die for Jesus. So he pulls out a sword, right? And he's a very terrible aim because he misses and slices the dude's ear off. And Jesus, like, heals the ear back and they arrest Jesus. And so Peter actually follows Jesus and, and all this crew of people um, to the high priest's house, and actually, like, the, Jesus went into the courtyard, and, and Peter kind of stayed back. And in fact, there were some people where Jesus, where Peter was, and in verse 17, it says, a servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Denial one. Right? He's, you know, these people see him, and he denies him one time. Oh, man. Like, he doesn't say, well, I need to get out of here, right? Like, that's one. I got two more. I don't want to do that, right? No, he stays. He even goes to the fire to keep warm. Like, his Savior is in there, like, being on trial, and he's up there worried about keeping his hands warm. And in this moment, like, I, in my head, I picture this, like, you know, in those movies in, like, a big city, and you see, like, on an alleyway, there's, like, this big garbage tin. There's, like, a fire coming out, and there's people standing there. Like, that's kind of my mind. What I picture, it probably wasn't, but it tells us that there was a charcoal fire. So remember that later there was a charcoal fire and Peter went to stood to stand beside the fire with some some other people in verse 25 it says now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself so he said to him you also are not one of his disciples are you he denied and said I am not denial two already just like that once again if this was me and Jesus told me I was going to deny him three times I've already denied him twice you'd see the backhand of me I'd be gone right but no Peter still stays 
Then verse 26, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, you would remember if some dude cut your cousin's ear off, right? Like, that's going to be memorable. Like, I know you, Peter. Like, I saw you. You could have killed him, but you're not a very good aim. But you cut his ear off. I remember you. Did I not see you in the garden with him? Verse 27, Peter again denied it three times. And at once, a rooster crowed. Just imagine at that moment when the rooster crowed and just the reality of the situation hit in. You ever been hit with the reality of your sins in a moment like that? And you're like, what did I do? So Jesus is in there being questioned by the high priest. And Peter's outside denying Jesus, doing exactly what Jesus told him he would do. There was no hiding it. In fact, uh, the book of Luke, Luke's account of this tells us that and at that moment that Peter denied him the third time, Jesus actually turned and looked at him. And they made eye contact from the courtyard. Now imagine that. He just denied his Savior and at that moment, they made eye contact. And the reality of the situation, the reality of his sin, of his failure set in. And Peter hit the road and left. Man, what a tragedy. Right? What a tragedy that the fact that this guy, Peter, this was the same Peter who got out of the boat and walked on water like David talked about last week, right? This is the same Peter at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? Peter stood up and said, you're Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon. Right, like this is that same Peter, and here he is denying his Savior, just like Jesus told him to. So what now for Peter? What now for him? He's absolute and utter failure. Right, he completely turned his back on the Savior when he needed him the most. He completely denied knowing Jesus. That's a pretty big mishap. Like that makes me feel better about what I said about the guy that cut me off yesterday. Right, like Peter's. Sin is pretty big. What now for Peter? But what now for us? So I think all of us, if we really analyze and look into our lives, we've all been and, and are right here where Peter is, feeling the weight of our sin and who we are and our struggles and what we've done. Right? Maybe it's, you know, we don't come to church very often because we feel guilty because, like, I haven't read my Bible in, in like six weeks. So when I go to church, I feel guilty. Like, I'm not going to go to church and you know, feel guilty about what I've done, or maybe like, like Stevie, you don't understand like the things I've looked at or the things that I've done, like Jesus can't use me, right? You don't understand the people I've hurt. Like I'm way too far gone for God to use me. Like you don't know what I've done. So what about us? What about Peter? Because none of us has stood on the courthouse like with a megaphone denying Jesus, right? None of us took a sledgehammer to the Ten Commandments. Like we haven't done that. We've all have failed and fallen short of the glory of God. Whatever that looks like in your life, we all have different stories, we all have different paths, we all have different, different tendencies and failures. And that separates us from God. And I know in my life when I sin and I, I know that I do it, my initial reaction is to kind of go away from God. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, their first instinct was to hide from God, right? And we do the same thing. We, we let our failures and our sin keep us from going to the only one who can help us with our sins and our failures in our own life. So what about us and what about Peter? Now if you flip over to the book of John chapter 21, we see a beautiful, amazing picture of the grace of Jesus. So Jesus was crucified and Jesus did die. And he rose up on the third day, like we just sang about. 
and then he appeared to Mary Magdalene, and then appeared to his disciples, and then here we are a little bit later, and some of the disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee, and they're fishing, and Pe- uh, Jesus comes up on the shore, and like, they haven't caught any fish all day, and, and Peter, uh, Jesus excuse me, says, you know, cast your net on the right side of the boat. So they do, and immediately they have so many fish, they can't even haul it into the boat. And then at that moment, John realized, that's Jesus on the shore. And he told Peter, he said, Peter, that's Jesus. And the first thing that Peter does, this is what I love about Peter, first thing Peter does is jump into the water. I'm going to Jesus. Right? Peter was the first one that got out of the boat to walk to Jesus. Right? Like Peter may mess up. Peter may be an utter failure, but he's not scared to get out of the boat. Right? Whether that be running to Jesus to walk on the water, running to Jesus for forgiveness. Like he's running to Jesus wherever he is, and he realized what he had done. And he goes to Jesus, and in fact, they go to the shore. He gets on the shore first, and, and Jesus actually, look in verse 9 of chapter 21. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Remember the charcoal fire from earlier? Peter's used to some charcoal fires, isn't he? And I just imagine the memories standing around this charcoal fire with Jesus brought up to Peter in his head. The sound of the crackling of the fire, remembering that night he stood there utterly denying knowing Jesus. Or the smell of the burning and everything and just how it took him back to that night in a heartbeat. Or even just the the view of the fire and, and the warmth he felt from it. And immediately he was taken back to his worst moment of his life that he wishes he could forget and put behind him. It took him right back there. But yet this time he's standing beside Jesus. Then in verse 15. They had eaten breakfast. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. How stinking amazing is the grace of God shown in this picture right here of him bringing, Jesus, of him bringing Peter on shore with him, eating breakfast with him and restoring Peter back to himself. Right, a few days before this, a few days before, Peter was denying Jesus. And most likely, when we don't have it in the text, but we, we know that you know, Peter, uh, Jesus appeared to the disciples and Peter was there. And I can only imagine that the, well, my heart was still, uh, no, uh, wrong song. But I can only imagine what Peter did at the sight of Jesus for the first time after the resurrection. Just falling on his face, weeping, asking Jesus for forgiveness for denying him three times. Like that, that would have been my response. And I imagine that had to have been his response to he was probably dying to be able to see Jesus again because the last time he saw him he turned away from him and now the resurrected Jesus is staying in front of him and so he's already most likely seek forgiveness and and repented but now but his sin against Jesus was public right he denied Jesus out in front of everybody so now Jesus had to restore him publicly so Jesus asked him three times the same amount of times he Peter denied Jesus do you love me? And of course he said yes. And I love the way that Jesus responds here. Because even though Peter had failed, 
Jesus still gave Peter his purpose. Peter still had purpose despite his failures because nothing had changed. When, when, Jesus, when, uh, excuse me, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, yes, and on this rock I will build my church. And he told Peter, you're going to be a leader in my church. This was before Peter failed Jesus. And now after the fact, Jesus is saying, Peter, feed my sheep, tend my flock. The purpose I put on you before is still there. Your failures hasn't changed your calling, right? Your failures hasn't changed the purpose I put on your life. Not only did he restore Peter, but he gave him his purpose back. That you're not a fisherman, right? Like I've called you to be fishers of men. Then in verse 18, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you. And carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. So Jesus is predicting what type of death Peter will have. And in fact, Peter's words of, I will follow you to death, Jesus. Like, it actually will come true. Jesus says, okay, Peter, you love me. You're restored. Now you can die for me, right? Now you know what it's like to fail. Now you know whose strength you really need. Not yourselves, but mine. Now, go. And so in church history tells us that actually Peter would be crucified. In fact, he would be crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like his Savior. So it was true. Peter was faithful to Jesus after this to the point of death. And we know this throughout the rest of the New Testament and the book of Acts, how faithful Peter was to the church. Because Jesus ends this statement after saying this in verse 19. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is the exact same words that he told Peter back in Matthew 4 when Jesus walked up to all these fishermen he said follow me and I will make you fishers of men right so that was a long time ago there's been a lot of mistakes made by Peter and all the other guys since then but even though that was a long time ago the calling was the same to Peter follow me even though you've messed up even though you failed the calling is the same from the very first time you came to follow me I don't care that you've messed up like put it behind you now follow me I'm not worried about your mistakes because I still want to use you, so you quit worried about them and follow me. This is what Jesus is saying to Peter here. Despite everything, nothing has changed from the very beginning. Peter's failure did not affect his calling. And it's the same with all of us today. Right? So many times we let the things that we've done and the failures in our own lives uh, separate us from God. And we, we disqualify ourselves because I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough. And that's all true. But we allow our sins to get in the way, and, and we, it's unrepentant sin, and we feel like we're not good enough, so I'm just not even going to you know, go to church. I'm not going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm just going to go and show up, and, and don't ask me to do anything else, because then I will be put in the light. And I'm, I'm not good, right? I mess up every day, so I can't do anything big for God. And, and, and the enemy whispers these lies in our head, because we have an enemy, church. If we don't believe that today, we have to wrap our head around that. We have an enemy today that is against us. In fact, this enemy, Jesus says in John 10, that he's seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. Each and every one of us. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your marriages. He wants to destroy our church. Every, anything he can do to destroy us, he's out to do. In fact, didn't Peter know this better than anybody else? I mean, look what he had done. He knew we had an enemy. He knew that he couldn't do this on his own strength. Look what happened in John 18. I'm, and so Peter knew this better than anybody else. So in fact, 
in a letter to the church, First Peter wrote, and called First Peter, Peter wrote that, chapter 5, verse 8, Peter said, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He says, in fact, you have an enemy, and he's literally waiting at the door like a lion, waiting to devour you, waiting to take your family, take your marriage, take your kids, take your life, take your faith, anything that he can take, he's waiting to do that. And he wants to put these lies in our head and tell us who we are and tell us who we aren't and what we can and can't do for God. Because I used to be under the impression that once you became a believer, Satan lost, right? He was done with us. Because Satan's number one goal is to steal the glory away from God. And so once we become a believer, once we become a Christian, okay, Satan lost, so he's done, right? But no, in fact, when we become a believer, Satan rolls his sleeves up and gets to work harder. Because if, if he couldn't keep us from God, then his next goal is to make us as least effective for Jesus as possible. He wants to distract us. He wants to put you know, shame in our, our hearts of what we've done. He wants to tell you that, that you're not worthy to follow Jesus, that you can't do anything for Jesus. Or he wants to tell you there's, there's satisfaction and things there's not satisfaction, right? Like he wants to, he puts these in our head because if he could make us as least effective, then it, we, he may have lost us, but we're not going to make him lose anybody else, right? We'll just live our little comfortable lives, doing what we want to do, and the gospel is not lived out in our life, so no one else comes to know Jesus through us. And he's stealing the glory away from God that he deserves and that he wants from us. That's what he wants to do. So, in fact, he is seeking to devour us with those lies. He did the same thing with Peter. But the grace of Jesus came in and restored Peter. And Jesus wants to do the same thing today with us. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of where we've been and what we've done, Jesus can still use you. That calling, whenever you became a Christian, maybe it was 40 years ago, 10 years ago, a couple months ago, the calling is the same, follow me. And if you follow Jesus, like, there's going to be opposition. We can be sure of that. It looks a lot differently in many different forms, but he wants to distract us, make us comfortable, make us feel like there's no need for us to live this gospel out because it's okay, we're leaving the Bible Belt, right? Everybody's a Christian. There's no need to live out your faith each and every day in your workplace. Like, just do you and everything's fine. Like, you'll be happy, you'll go to heaven one day. Like, it's going to be good if Satan wins because we're so ineffective for the gospel because we're so distracted by everything else that God doesn't use us to reach anybody else because we're so stubborn or we're so prideful in our own sin and lost in our own sin that we... We don't allow God to use us through, despite that. Just like he used Peter. What if Peter would have threw his hands up and said, I'm done. I failed. I'm no good. Jesus can't use me. I'm done. But he didn't. He jumped out of the boat and swam to Jesus and sought that rest, restoration. So as there is an enemy working today, I want to give us just three quick things of how we can kind of defend ourselves from the enemy and uh, kind of, follow our lives and put us back on track and, and make us the way that we expect it, right? That when we first followed Jesus, we expected to do so many things for the Lord, but then life and sin got in the way, right? So there's three things. One, constantly repent. Over and over again, every single day, we should be repenting and realizing and acknowledging and bringing to light the sin in our lives so that God can heal us, heal us from that brokenness, to turn away from that. Number two is be in community with other believers. Community is so vital for our own spiritual health. That God gave us the church because he knew we needed it. He wanted to glorify himself through us. 
to be in a, in a, in a group of people who, who love you and who know you and, and can walk with you in life. Because when Satan attacks, it's a lot easier to do it with a group of people than on your own. Satan's number one goal is to isolate you and devour you. That in fact, if he can't keep you from community, if you lost, you step into church today, right? So Satan lost. He couldn't keep you from community. Well, if he can't keep you from community, he's going to hurt you through community, right? He's going to say, don't go back to that church. It's full of a bunch of hypocrites. Hypocrites, right? Like that coffee tasted terrible. Like don't go back to that church, right? They were out of coffee when I got there. He wants to keep you from community because when you're isolated, that's when he wants to devour you. And lastly, stay in his word each and every second you can. That's what empowers us because just like Peter, when we live on our own strength, we can't do it. But it's through seeking him and and living through his strength, through the Holy Spirit, that God empowers us to live out his gospel. The fact that life can be what we expect, that life can be what God has called us to do because he's living through us. Right, Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. I I don't have to be good. I just have to be open for God to work in my life and to call out things in my life that's not good and to give those to him. And he's faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness and cleanse me. That's how good God is and how much he wants to use each and every one of us today. And the calling is the same for all of us, to get out of the boat and to follow him with everything that we have, despite who we are, because he's good and he's holy. Let's pray. God, thank you. Uh, for being good. Uh, we don't deserve you, not a single bit, uh, but yet you still choose to love us each and every day. I pray that each and every person in here, myself included, will come to a realization that, that you are good, and despite what baggage we brought into this room today, despite, despite what we've struggled with, we know that we can cast it all on you, and that despite our failures, that you still have purpose for us in our lives, and that we can live life the way that you've called us to, thanks to you and your goodness and your strength, God. So I pray that today we surrender to that and we give it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen.